Hi, I'm Matt Gorman. I'm Carly Chamberlain. I'm Alec Toller. And I'm Sarah Kitts. And welcome to Walk Left, the, the podcast. podcast. Oh. <laughs> and I'm Marty Chidorik. Thanks for joining us. Welcome all. This is uh, an exciting little gathering here of four directors for this year's Playwright Project. People in Toronto are probably familiar with previous iterations, which were uh, Tennessee Williams and Sam Shepard. And then this year, focusing on the work of Carol Churchill. And before we get into each of the four plays that you're directing, I'm going to turn my attention to you, uh, Matt, as the curator of the project this year, to expand a little bit more on the choice of playwright and what people can expect this year. So when Alex Johnson asked me to help her put this together, because uh, Alex Johnson is the, what does she call herself, the like, artistic producer or one of those fun amalgam titles. It's her boat, really. Uh, she just needed someone to pick the art so that she could focus on all the things that I have uh, no idea how to do, such as raising tens of thousands of dollars. When we were talking about the festival and what we wanted it to look like, I was I was pitching playwrights and stuff like that. I sort of, okay, so <laughs> I'll already get annoying. The natural extension from the last two years is David Mamet, and no one wants to go to a David Mamet festival. Well, someone does. I mean, I'm well. No the thing is, because it, yeah, I I do it. I'll, I'll, it, the other thing is, no. what, yeah, I made that comment to Addie, but I had also brought a David Mamet play that I was, like, ready to do to that conversation as well. Just because, you know, they did two white American dudes. I mean, two very different white American dudes, but it's still, it's just like, so if you follow that train, then you just get a bit more contemporary, and then you've just got a bunch of 25-year-olds pretending they're 40 doing American Buffalo, and no one needs that just now. So I could kind of pick whoever I wanted. So it's sort of the, the opposite of, you know, an American man is sort of a British woman. Uh, Sarah Kane. Is that how it breaks down? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Sarah Kane doesn't have enough plays. And yeah, like someone else who has the same kind of stature as those other guys, who has a crazy variety of plays, of both style, length, type, all that kind of stuff, casting, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that you could get the same voice running through the whole festival, but really wildly different aesthetics through each one of them. Yeah, and she's just really exciting. So when I asked all these guys to take part, the only thing I sort of told them was, you know, we can't do anything that Shaw or Soul Pepper has done because Toronto has seen that. But a lot of the shows, well, all of the shows you'll see... Uh, are not the kind of things that would get put on the Toronto stage right now. I mean, all of them, no, two of the four of them have played in Toronto at some point, but in very, very different circumstances. So, yeah. Is that That's great. remotely close to what we were talking about at the beginning of that? <laughs> yeah. So let's... Uh... And this is why my last episode took <laughs> to record. So let's, uh, let's build the team. We'll start, we'll start with you and we'll work our way back to Matt and what he's directing. So tell me a bit about uh, how you got involved with the project and uh, the play that you're directing. I'm directing Carol Churchill's 1980 play, Three More Sleepless Nights, which is very rarely produced and might have even started as a radio, yeah, radio play. Show. And 
for those who are familiar with her work, she's become really famous for all of this overlapping dialogue that she writes, which is technically very difficult to do, and some of my actors are you know, mildly hating me at the moment for that. <laughs> but this is the play when she employs it for the really for the very first time. So that's really interesting to see how she does that. So when Matt and I started talking about this festival and, and what I wanted to do in it, I was really only familiar with her full-length shows, and I had worked on some of them, and I'm a really big fan of her work. And I started reading her shorter stuff, because that's what we were talking about at the time, and uh, I realized, actually, that I was... There weren't, there weren't as many of her shorter plays that I liked as much, but I could appreciate in all of them how she's absolutely without intellectual creative boundaries you know she she just presses out at the peripheries in one direction in one show and then after she's achieved something kind of astoundingly groundbreaking she goes in a completely different direction the next play so she's she's all over the place but also not without direction just kind of astoundingly experimental so picking something for this festival was hard because you also want to do something that works in the context of this festival, you know, something that you can be successful at. Because yeah, um, a lot of the shows have like 75 people in them. Exactly, <laughs> right? Like, the, I mean, I think, I think there's a reason that Churchill's not done that often, and one of the reasons is because it costs so much to produce a show of the size of most of what she writes. So anyway, I'm doing, the one I'm doing is called Three More Sleepless Nights, and it's essentially three standalone interrelated scenes of a couple, three different couples in a bedroom in the middle of the night, fighting, not sleeping, communication breakdown, unable to talk to each other. And it happens in 1980, so Thatcher is newly in power. So, you know, Churchill's a really overtly political and feminist writer. And this show is one of her plays where people are basically not really talking about politics on stage. In some shows they have overtly political debates, and not in this one. But the context in which it happens is political. We just never leave the bedroom. So that's interesting. It's, it's profoundly feminist in the way that it's showing the interior lives of these women and their husbands without actually discussing politics on the stage. And it's strange and dark and funny, and it's a bit of a wild ride, and it's it's a small piece, but it packs a punch. Tell me a bit about uh, your play. Sure. I'm doing Drunk Enough to Say I Love You, question mark. Um, <laughs> Thanks for making that clear. Exactly, yeah. In a non-visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> Not with the way that you would actually intone a question, just by saying the punctuation. Yeah, it's funny. I, a lot of the things that you've mentioned come up in my, my show as well. I also found a lot of her shorts can, can be a little bit inaccessible. And what I liked about Drunk Enough is that it it does ultimately focus on the relationship of these two characters. However, in this case, the dialogue is also kind of experimental in that in two ways. One, it's all fragmented dialogue, and two... The vast majority of it is like heavily, heavily political dialogue that jumps like crazy. So it's very hard to follow. <laughs> and the track that you have to have, uh, you almost, the way we're doing it anyway, is that you almost have to treat what they're saying as gibberish, basically, uh, for the majority of it. 
and that you're just finding the emotional track and the, the beat shifting kind of stuff. So much like how um, your show is over quite political, but all in the bedroom, in this case, the dialogue is also like all completely super political kind of stuff, but we are focusing very specifically on the relationship of these two characters. Um, and it's really hard. Carly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us about... Uh, I'm directing Vinegar Tom, which is one of her earliest plays. And it's... Oh, where to start? So it takes place... The scenes take place in 17th century England in a village, sort of following a village on the brink of kind of a witch hunt, interspersed with contemporary music so and she it's specifically contemporary it's like specifically she, she oh yeah being... yeah it's specifically contemporary um she's like very i mean she, her, i mean obviously her work is really influenced by brecht throughout but this was very explicitly using some pretty obvious brecht techniques so the idea being that the lyrical content of the songs reference the scenes but the like specifically in the notes it says the songs shouldn't be sung by the characters but could be sung by the actors dressed as themselves or like i think sometimes when it gets done it's like a like band that's off to the side or whatever so it's that uh, the brecht alienation technique of like the style and content of the songs pulling you out of the emotional track of the story so that you're forced to keep thinking about the message whatever the message is you can decide for yourself as opposed to just being invested in the emotional lives of, of or the emotional track of the story um so real easy <laughs> uh uh yeah and it's it's sort of considered her first big feminist piece because it was a collaboration with uh monsters regiment monstrous monstrous regiment which was a really important feminist theater collective in the 70s so yeah it's sort of it's tricky it has it has less of what she has later on in those guys plays as far as overlapping dialogue but it still is similar I mean it's the same thread of being political but it's also about the relationships and the, the framework is both telling a story while having a political message underneath but I think you can also sort of decide for yourself, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you if you make the right decision, <laughs> then your decision is valid. Oh. Oh, but I should also say that we are not doing live performance for the music. That's sort of I'm trying to sort of push the idea of that into a more whatever 2014 idea. So it's recorded like electronic music, and we're using projections and stuff like that. High tech. Yeah, so not high tech. It's literally <laughs> me in iMovie and Garage Band. So yeah. Do you do you have lasers in it? Um, it, you'll just be like a laser on a keychain. Yeah, <laughs> great. Okay. One audience member at a time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll I'll come see your show now. Sold. So. Finally, so. the fourth play making up oh, the yes. Paris project this year. Uh, yeah, I'm directing a show called A Number, which is uh. A Sorry? <laughs> Question mark? A number? <laughs> um, a number? Uh, Tilda? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so it's a play with clones in it that isn't really about cloning. Uh, 
Yeah. So it's I, I've been, okay. I've, so we've got that one covered. Yeah. That's great. All That's right. all. Yeah. I've been, it's she has this marvelous habit of uh, refusing to do interviews. Uh, she doesn't speak publicly about any of her shows except one letter to the editor about Seven Jewish Children. That's it. Uh, but she does write the intros to the plays in the text. And so you get little snippets, and it's usually just about what was kind of going on when she wrote it and sort of how she wrote it, but not what she thinks it's about. Except there's one, there's like two notes specifically about a number. And one of them is that it's not about cloning. There just happen to be clones in it. It's not a big MacGuffin to hide something else. It's just that's the story she's using to tell this other crazy thing. And then she's got another note about one of the characters. But, yeah, it's, it's about fatherhood. It's about parenting. It's about the relationship with your kids. Uh, for someone who's described as this, like, proto-feminist writer and all these sorts of things, it's a Superman show. Like, it's very, very manly. It's very much about these two guys and their... When we were all sort of meeting and talking about shows, we talked a lot about, like, oh, are there shows we could do where you could just cast anyone? Um, and some of us are doing that. Um, but this one, you really can't. Like, it actually would not make sense if that was a woman who had had these clones made because she literally would have had to give birth and all those sorts of things. So you need the kind of ambiguity of this baby being made and da, 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 and the mom being out of the picture and that all kind of being cloudy and stuff. So it's very specifically has to be these two men. And it's this creepy, you know, family drama. So one of the things, I mean, uh, early on it, it sounded like I was really like utilitarian when I was choosing Carol Churchill as the theme for the thing, which at some points it kind of had to be, but it's not in the sense that uh, I adore her because she's, she's not a feminist, but she writes plays that you could call feminist. She's not a secularist, but you could say that she writes plays that argue against religion or sorts of things. And she's not, you know, in many ways political, but the plays themselves are political. So all the work stands for itself. And because her own voice as a writer is limited only to the words she puts in the plays, all other descriptions of her come from outside and from someone else. And so every time you see the show, if you've decided that's what the show's about, and that's what the show's about, she's decided to keep what she thinks it's about to herself, which is marvelous as an artist working on the thing because you don't have, you know, there's a production history that kind of gives you an idea of how other people have gone about it. But because, unlike other writers, she hasn't very specifically said, oh, I thought this, 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 and this. You can do, in some ways, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if a beat makes sense to you in one way, you can just go with that because she's going to stay mum about it and let you figure it out. And you'll find, like, some things just won't work. You know, you can't just make the show about Iraq if the play isn't dealing with that. Uh, can't. I mean, you can try, uh, and it fail hilariously. No, I know. I know. <laughs> Mine's about rack, but in like 1200, so it's... It's true, it's true. <laughs> so you alluded to the uh, discussion that was had. I'd love to know a bit more about the process of choosing these four plays. They sort of have the, the what of the four mm -hmm. scripts, but I'm kind of curious about the why and the, and the bringing them together. How was, how'd that come about? Whoever. 
I will say that this is the play I wanted to do all along, but when I first came to talking to Matt, there was someone else who was circling around it who's not in this room. I was excited about some of the other plays, but really Vinegar Tom was the play I wanted to do all along. And I will say that it, it's not an entirely practical choice, as what Sarah was talking about as far as the limitations of, you know, putting it on for a small budget and doing it in a festival. There, you know, it's a, it's a full-length play. It's probably going to be 90 minutes and has eight or nine actors, depending on how you cast it, and has music in it. But it's... I, I'm so excited about it, and it's not like anything that gets done. So when things changed and the opportunity came back to do it, it was sort of a natural choice. I mean, the other one would have been cool too, but that's... So there was not much discussion. I feel like when I came in, I was like, I will do whatever, but these are the five, six, seven plays that I'm most excited about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, there were shows that I fed to people and kind of tried to push, uh, and then there were shows that people really wanted to do anyway. Uh, the format of the whole festival changed mm. a couple times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so making that work and then deciding how to use the people we had the best uh, sort of dictated uh, the kind of plays we could do. Blah, blah, blah. And you can't, you just can't do a show that you're not interested in. Yeah. So. I think that's a big part of it, right? When Matt and I first started talking, uh, we were in an earlier incarnation of the festival. Mm. And I think it was going to be a little bit bigger and there were different concerns. And so he and I started initially by talking about me doing a shorter piece and like I said I read so many of them and just thought they're actually not grabbing me as much mm -hmm. as her bigger ones until I found three more sleepless nights which you know when you're when you're either receiving something as an audience member and engaging with it that way or you're reading a book or you're working on a play or whatever you want to do something that for me anyway like infects my body when I can't simply intellectualize it anymore and think this is interesting, what could I do with it? How could I stage it? But it actually sort of makes your heart beat faster and you start breathing differently and your blood runs cold and you go, right. Or you're lying yeah. in bed at night and you're not sleeping because your mind is just turning and turning on this show. You go, this is the show I'm going to do. So for me, that was a big part of it. I, like Carly, was thinking about some larger plays at different times, but it also, of course, came down to the practicality of what we can be successful at doing in the space that we have, with the budgets that we have. But there's so much of her work to look at and to choose from. It'd be great to have more of her stuff in Toronto. Uh, I think I lived in a library for about a week. I read a bunch of her plays. <laughs> And I liked this play. <laughs> um, but again, I, I liked it because it, it um, I found with her shorter work, it could get a bit more experimental than what I like to do. And this show, although there is still some avant-gardeness to it, uh, it, it is definitely about a romantic relationship between two people. And so that is a very relatable and understandable story. And it has, it has a full narrative arc. So it, it, it does tell a whole story. And some of the other, the other shorter pieces were so fragmented that I, I didn't I sort of would read it and go, what what do I do? <laughs> and and I feel like as an audience member, sometimes you can get you can get lost in, in some of the shows, or at least for me, like I, it's just not my my stuff. So I, I liked I liked the 
I like there's like a hard narrative in it combined with this this other stuff this experimental stuff this this complex yeah, I mean what what the show is is actually it's dealing with um, the world or our, our own sort of love hate relationship with the United States about being a uh, what it is to be a superpower and sort of powered any sort of powerful entity will do anything that it can to maintain power um, and so when that's transposed into a relationship that's sort of emotionally abusive um, that gets really interesting to, to find how that, that, that those parallels work. Um, so that's what it, what excited me, and and it was really um, I like working with actors, and it was really actor focused. It was really actor specific um, because it was so much of what it was about would be would would be figured out through performance, whereas some of the other stuff is sort of high concept, which would be figured out through sitting around in your your big dark tower. <laughs> contemplating with a bunch of German textbooks about how to how to do it. So. That's that's the dark tower that every director is issued that's when right. they decide to yeah. be a director. Yeah, they all get a tower. Yeah, yeah. In German, textbooks. it's a wizard tower. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mine is Slovakian. Actually. Okay. Oh, Slovakian. Oh, oh, very good. Yeah. The thing the thing More that's made me sort of uh, exactly. the happiest of the way the programming <laughs> turned out was that based on who we had putting on the shows, all the shows are actually. Uh, Without sounding like oddly limiting, like really down the street of the people who are putting them on, in that like of the work I've seen of uh, these other directors and myself, these are the ended up being the type of shows that you're like, oh yeah, okay, I, that makes sense. I see how that has lined up with that person. Mm -hmm. So everyone's doing something different than they would be doing, hopefully otherwise. I mean that's hopefully why anyone said yes to doing it, um, is that there is some difference and some challenge. But you can see, oh, yeah, okay, that, that has become quite suited to that person. And, da, 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 da. and even within the four of us now, swapping some of the shows would be like, sure, they would all work out just fine, but they wouldn't uh, hit the same notes. Or, mm. you know, I, I feel like the people we have for those shows, sort of the, their, their sensibilities line up a bit better if there is a better or worse or da 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 da. I just think it's all worked out nicely. Is what <laughs> I was to say. In short, splendid. Yeah, yeah. And in all of those weeks of complaining about shows and endless emails and just, I mean, like fun talk about plays, yeah. everyone's, you know, I'm always sort of of the school of Jeffrey Rush and Shakespeare in Love, where it's a mystery, it'll just work out. And the right people just sort of end up with the right show. It takes a lot of pushing and prodding and, and, and crying, but it all works out. Somehow. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it better. better. I like that your definition of success uh, includes a whole lot of crying. <laughs> well, that's, 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 that's when I feel successful, yeah, yeah. When I'm just weeping. Yeah. Just in a pile. Yeah. I feel, yeah, I when, feel I, like when it's I'm broke, after all the tears angry. are out and you've just, you know, expelled. Yeah. The yeah. terror and the sadness, you can't help but feel successful because you're just, you know. Because you've hit rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's nowhere to go but up. Yeah, you're, you're in a sublime surrender, so you go, this could be success. Hold on, does the terror and sadness go away? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, way ahead of you. <laughs> this just turned into group therapy. Yeah. There's on a different plane nope. than that. So I want to talk about my dad for a second, if that's cool. I want to talk about my dad, yeah. <laughs>
Tell me about your dreams. I think, actually, as for what Matt and Carly were saying earlier, what Matt was saying about the fact that Churchill doesn't talk about her plays and how, in a sense, that unburdens them from mm. any conceptions of yeah. what they must be yeah. is so director and actor friendly, it's amazing and quite like Shakespeare in that way yeah. because, you know, someone like Shaw, for instance, who writes 50-page <laughs> introductions to his plays. I mean, I love Shaw and and will write stage directions like, her eyes dilate, you know, like act that. <laughs> Isn't that a lighting cue? No. <laughs> no, no, no. You have to really feel it from the inside of your soul. My eyes dilate. Um, Churchill in that way, and I'm sure this has a lot to do with a lot of the early writing that she did. One, because she started by writing for radio. So it was really, really about the text. Mm. And two, because she started working with Monstrous Regiment and also with Joint Stock, yeah. which were these these big um, collaborative kind of companies in England in the 70s. And she was <laughs> writing scripts in research with the acting companies. Like when she wrote Fen, they went and stayed in cottages together in the Fenlands. So the actors would come in and they would perform her work every day and they would improvise and she would write more and they would be in the community that they were writing about. And so it's all informed by a kind of lived experience. And so that on mm. top of the fact that she never comments on her work allows you to go in and imagine it new for the first time every time, which is just an absolute gift unlike you know if we if we as matt said had done a mammoth festival it's like we all have really specific ideas about what mammoth's supposed to look like because well, mammoth tells you too. yeah right yeah, you're not allowed to change you're not allowed anything. to change anything yeah. like there's no way that you could do a female glengarry glen ross because he wouldn't allow you, you it you can't get the rights, for, can't it. Get the rights yeah. for it <sighs> <laughs> coffee's <laughs> for closers <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's, I mean, in a lot of ways, she's the, she's the artist's best friend and, like, this, a scholar's nightmare, because they'll, all they want to do is write, 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 and, and label someone as something and have them fit a category, and she just, I mean, it's even silly to, when you talk about her as a female playwright, she's just a playwright, she just is one of the greatest playwrights still alive, uh, because the plays define uh, categorization uh, with each time. I mean, anything we think of as a standard convention, I mean, it was her idea at some point, and now it's standard because she just decided to do that. I was just reading about that, specifically about the overlapping, the overlapping dialogue. dialogue. Everyone the idea does that to, now. Yeah, yeah, like, the, in the text, yeah, to have a Nick slash, to, yeah, 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 to have a slash to indicate that's where it overlaps. That was her. Yeah. No one did yeah. that before. In this play. it's a standard. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Word. I think also, Word. <laughs> I mean, she also has a career that spans over four decades. Yeah. Four or five yeah. decades. So it's like, that, that is 40 or 50 years of artistry to define. Yeah. So how do you go, well, she's this. Yeah. It's like you yeah. have periods and kinds of We do kinds do of that with yeah. everyone. It, yeah. But I mean, but it, she has just written so many plays. She's written like, what, 40 or more plays? Just about. A bunch. Yeah. She's written one bunch of plays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One theatrical bunch of players. Exactly. Yeah. What was uh, each of your familiarity with her and her canon before this project? 
we went on a bike ride together. <laughs> it was actually I, through the Fenlands. So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I <laughs> wish I did. No. There was a, there was an actor I was talking to about potentially doing the show, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We had tea together." What? Because his like his mom or his grandmother <laughs> or something grew up with her in Montreal. Like they went to school oh, together, no, and right. so they're like old childhood friends. So he's right. had he's had tea with Carol. Oh, I was like, that's. Amazing. <laughs> oh, I, I forget if we can swear here. You know? Go crazy. Are you going to bleep it? Of course. It's funnier if it's bleeped. <laughs> Please. Um, what is he saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, oh, yeah. Fun fact the first Carol Churchill play I ever saw, Sarah was in. Oh, right. Is that a fun fact? That is a fun fact. <laughs> Please tell me you um, were like seven. <laughs> I'll accept I, it. I was actually fact. nine. So. Awesome. She, uh, at the University of Windsor, in her fourth year, my first year, they did Mad Forest. I was I was an usher at the time, so I saw it like a million times. And I came from a music theater background. Like, I spent my entire high school, I was in a music theater program in high school, so my idea of theater was... Godspell. <laughs> Godspell and, like, Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> Jet, Matt was Matt was, Matt was doing jazz, jazz hands, hands behind you. <laughs> oh no, not even not even just jazz hands. In high school, this is a tangent, but here we are. Uh, we used to stand on stage. This is our like acting program. We used to stand on stage and practice our music theater smile. I think Carly Chamberlain should write a memoir called "Not Even Just Jazz Hands." <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a chapter. In I will yeah. write an intro for that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Deal made. Yeah, no, but I mean, that was, I remember, I was, you know, like 18, 17, something young, and was like, it blew my mind. And that was also a really uh, fascinating experience because the Romanian community yeah. in Windsor came to the show, often came to the show, like they, the outreach that was done in Windsor for that show, it's a show about Romania, but in the 80s and uh would like there's a part in the play where they sing the national anthem and and members of the audience would be standing it was so it was just the most mind-blowing experience to an 18 year old who had decided to go to theater school without really knowing what theater was so that to me was the moment and then of course you know we studied top girls we studied cloud nine and it going but that was such a pivotal moment for me in in not just a carol churchill knowing who she was way but in a like my mind breaking over for what theater could be there you go did you, did you know previous to now that you had that impact well i, I don't think she's commenting on it was my all performance. you it was all you yeah. <laughs> i mean it might have been okay for theater school but you know oh, yeah i would be yeah yeah. Sounded like she Who quite knows? carefully skirted around talking. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, but thank you for bringing wow. it up. Yeah, doing that play was astounding. Mad Forest. I I had thought about, you know, and I laughed doing at... that play I in this festival, and Matt was like, ha 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 ha. Ambitious. Because that... it's gigantic. It's a full three act play, and each of those acts is enormous. And the first and third act follow two families and a group of friends in Romania and the first act 
is it's under the Ceausescu regime. The first act is before the fall, before the revolution, and the second act is after the revolution. And they're very spare, evocative scenes. Um, and then the second act is completely different characters. It's direct address out to the audience of what happened during those days of terror. And I get those goosebumps just thinking about it. That is the act that ends with the national anthem all these people speaking about what they lived through in those days when you know the army was shooting at the people and then the army turned to the people's side and they were in the radio station and they kept on the air and uh, the world changed um so churchill and some students from the central school of speech and drama in london went to romania and researched this play and wrote it basically as it was happening. I mean, that's that's mm. the kind of politically engaged human that she is, and we're lucky to have her work. So I did that show that, that Carly saw, and um, when I was in also in university, we did, you know, like as a scene study, I did Top Girls, and the class above me did right. Vinegar Tom, which I think is done quite a bit in theater school because it is a fabulous show and full it of has, women. Depending on how you cast it, six to seven roles for women, which is like a f miracle. That's all. That's, all <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So I think my my first experience of her was probably in university as well and I remember reading that play because in our school at the University of Windsor you can sort of choose which shows you specifically would like to be in you can audition for everything but I was dead set on being in Mad Forest it's a really incredible show I would still love to do it yeah but I mean that's the kind of thing you need real time and money to do properly um, I think my first experience with Churchill was I did a course in university that was an English course on drama, whatever, and we actually studied Top Girls. Uh, and then we went out and saw Top Girls um, at Soul Pepper in 2010-ish, 2009. And it was a really good production, I thought. I, I thought it was really, really well done. And I, I was really impressed by it because, again, I'm so into like having a strong narrative that in this show... It was a bit looser. Like there's three acts to it, I believe. We can't remember now. Um, and in each one, it kind of jumps around. Um, there's like two. 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 Two, right? two. Two. Yeah. Isn't it the dinner and then? Yes. No. The there's also there's also the office. The office. Is it the same act? Okay. Um, there, I, I just remember there being like there's stuff with like a mom and her at the office, being this sort of very cruel but powerful woman or whatever this big huge dinner with all these like famous powerful women or whatever historical women some fictional uh, and then and then stuff with the daughter of this woman uh, and her friend i believe um anyway so it's like it's it's sort of the the three big scenes that are more loosely related but you still were emotionally in the whole time which i thought was really impressive that, that was that was doable um and i also found that uh that show is intellectually really rigorous like it deals with feminism and it, and it talks about it in a really interesting way basically about like how the plurality of feminism about how there's a bajillion different ways of of being a feminist or not or uh different ways of of exploring that um and how sometimes they they collaborate and sometimes they conflict 
and 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 specifically the effect that that has on a young woman in the show. I just, I was really impressed by by that show and by the uh, the uh, the level of discussion that she was dealing with with a topic that is very complicated and and nuanced and can be sometimes polemic. She she was very sophisticated with, and that was really exciting. And she's always like after seeing that show and reading about it and all that. Uh, I she was always sort of a top tier playwright to me. So to be able to do it, I thought was pretty cool. Um, and then yeah, and this show is the one that I'm doing drunk enough is is equally complicated about how it's dealing with um, again the states and and more specifically how the states deals with the rest of the world, mm. which is um, mostly as a big bully. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, as I said before, it's about an entity that has power ensuring that it maintains power, but it kind of does so at any cost. Um, but the way that she explores that, she explores like. 60 or so years of American foreign policy and meddling and all that. Uh, and she jumps through it so crazy fast. Um, and yet you're still sort of able to follow it. Like the, the connections are just, are just bizarre and interesting. And we are in rehearsal doing our best to keep up with, with a show that she's made for us. So all, all of the shows that we've sort of been talking about, like the ones we are doing the ones we aren't doing the thing that uh, fascinates me about all of them is that they're just plays that don't get made in Canada uh, and the, the finances in a sense aside I mean uh, other than the fact that you can't write a play in Canada that has more than three people in it that's that's one thing and that's a whole that's one different podcast that I'm almost drunk enough to start. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the end of the show, drunk enough to start a podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <sighs> drunk enough to start a podcast? Yeah. Question mark? <laughs> Hi. Um, but a, a buddy of mine and I, a while ago, I think it was after seeing Top Girls for the... F yeah, that was the only time I've seen, I had seen that show was that same Soul Pepper production. It was a great show. Yeah. Is that show uh, would never have been written in Canada because... It's uh, it's a badly structured play. It's a mess, and a lot of these shows are ridiculous because uh, the form is only there to suit the needs of that one specific show, and so she doesn't put together a show that that conforms to anyone else's idea of how a play should be done in Canada. You know, as someone who's like very gently tried to dip into trying to write shows here, is if it's not crystal clear on the page exactly what is going on exactly what everyone looks like is doing and who will play that part at some point the show just won't get read uh, and it'll just go away because you need to be incredibly specific here and a play where a dozen women from all different times and countries and worlds get together have dinner and then you just scrap that and then you start another play after intermission no, wouldn't happen. Because everything here has to just form into some dramaturge's idea of that's what so, a play is. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't heard anyone define the problems of our theater in that way. But it makes sense, right? I mean, cause, because there's not... Oh, hey, Kelly. <laughs> oh, hey. How you doing? You know, there's not an... Uh, those limitations make sense within the confines of not having enough money, right? Sure. So the... Not that I'm justifying it, but I can see how it happens because it, 
when there's not enough money to go around and no one's really going to shows in the first place, of course, the willingness to take a risk on something that you don't entirely understand becomes much smaller. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it is. I think it's the willingness yeah. to take a risk, right? Because yeah. I would agree and disagree with what Matt just said. I would agree that she changes the form to suit the need of the specific show, but I would disagree that it's a mess because I think each one Oh, when, is... when, I, when I say a mess, I mean it. No, I know what you mean. No. It's... <laughs> it's less, it's less diff definable. Yeah, I mean, we can't we yeah. can't sort of graph all of her shows on the same arc no. because they all have she entirely different shapes. She also has the advantage of being shapes. Carol Churchill and knowing Absolutely. that her play is going to get done. And also have, have yeah. grown up in in a theatrical system in England in a society that's built on language and I would argue that North America is not built on language we've moved away from language we're all about images over here and England is still extremely linguistic hmm. so she has that advantage as well and having come you know at an earlier time she's not starting to write plays right now but um um, I think, I think actually, I would argue that there is something kind of feminist about that, though, that it isn't always a linear path through the play, that sometimes it's very liminal, or it's a lateral pathway that she's taking, or there's something even circuitous and looping about it. So when you're, when you're watching her plays, you're sort of thinking and then not thinking. Like there, there's, there are plays where she uses magic realism and you need to leap with her. Like in, Ma in Mad Forest, we're watching families and friends living under an oppressive regime and that's a real thing. And then also there's a scene where a priest talks to an angel and the angel talks back to him. And then a later scene, where a vampire and a dog have a discussion on stage. And those are the only scenes where anything remotely magical happens in the play, and the rest of it is absolutely terrifyingly real. So you make these imaginative leaps with her. And it's an interesting point, I suppose, in Canada, if we were sort of developing and dramaturging that play, it would be like, well, what are the rules well, around what, that? What's the point of the vampire? What's the point of the vampire? Well, it, it would go sometimes through, there it would, needs it would to be a mystery. Workshop hell. And it would, like, anything fun would be just whittled out of it. But to be fair, I mean, the vampire dog thing did happen in Romania. That is that's, true. That's just realism. Yes. Yeah. There are vampires and dogs but, in Romania. Totally. Yeah. But, but I think, but I think, oh no, Transylvania, sorry. Um, uh, no, but I think, I think the other thing is, like, that's, part of the difficulty of any Churchill play is that they're, they are risky to produce because even with Top Girls, if your three major scenes are too kind of um, like separate, then you will lose your audience. Mm -hmm. Like if you, you have to find the track. Um, it is true that it is often more obscured than in another other writing, but, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if in every show there is always a strong emotional track, but there certainly isn't Top Girls, I think. That there certainly isn't the show I'm doing. I don't know about your other guys, but... Um, no, no. No, yeah, it's no just, just a bunch track. of words. It's yeah. words. That's why yeah. I chose mine, because exactly. <laughs> emotions scare me. Yeah, and exactly. like, well, Cloud Stay Nine, too, right? I mean, yeah. Elisa Palmer directed Top Girls for Soul Pepper, and then she directed Cloud Nine for Mervish. Yeah. And mm. that's another difficult one, where you have... You actually have people changing gender and leaping Roll, yeah, like they... what 50 years 100 no, like years 100 100 and something years yeah. between act one and act two yeah 
We should have done those first. Let's <laughs> just do it now. We weren't allowed. Uh, I know. I know. You told me I couldn't. Damn right. Previously, the Playwright Project has taken place at a number of different venues across the city. Uh, and this year, uh, the model has shifted to have all of the plays uh, occurring in one location uh, at the Downstage Theater. Talk to me a bit about that. So, the, well, I mean, the thing is, you also have to realize that this is only the third year of this, and it is uh, a growing child of a festival that's got two years of experience, but also, you know, if if the festival is to uh, survive and keep going, needs to shift and alter and find its own kind of model. You know, when you compare yourself to the fringe of the summer, I mean, these things have been around for 25 years, 15 years, these sorts of things, and so they've had time to figure out a model to work. Whereas when Addie and Diva put this together, you know, it was, you know, this, this marvelous uh, spur of the moment thing of, oh, it wouldn't be great if we did this, 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 and this, and this. So they shot for the stars in one way, and a lot of that worked. And then the next year, things changed, and a lot of that worked, and a lot of that didn't. And this year is very different. Um, it was about uh, focus, and sort of one of the things that she and I talked about when I sort of got involved was creating a bit more of a festival atmosphere, which is, you know, when you go to the next stage, when you go to the fringe, when you go uh, to any sort of other festival, it's... So going to that place, hanging out, having a drink, chatting with people. And so the thing about the different venues around town was there you, you kind of lost some of that collective feeling as an audience member. Unless you happened to be at the show that was at the Cameron House when people would come for the music. But if you hadn't missed that, then you might not have known that was going on, that kind of thing. Um, so it was about... Uh, Centering the audience's experience to one place where they could hang out, see a couple shows, chat, da, 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 that kind of thing. Um, and it's also, it's another sort of shot at a different type of model. Uh, if things go well, maybe this is what it'll be next year. If, you know, things go really well, then maybe, you know, you can expand again once you've shrunk a bit. So then maybe next year you move to two venues, da, 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 that kind of thing. It was manageable this way. Um, there was a larger team working on the festival last year. We don't have that this year. Uh, so it's about you know trying to be ambitious while not shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, this is from my perspective. I think it opens up the ability to be more ambitious with the artistic quality of the work. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I th and I think that has that's been what the I meant. focus. That's in, what I meant. In, in, <laughs> and also in bringing Matt in as curator as well, I think that's sort of the direction the festival has gone, is, is putting a bit more focus on moving the, the quality of the work even further. Because I think last year with the Sam Shepard work was a real step forward. Like each year has improved on itself as far as the quality of the work. So while it, it's really, the idea of going to a bunch of neighborhoods is really awesome, shrinking it in some ways, especially for the amount of person power that the festival has, it allows the quality of the work to... What, what was it like to tour a show yet last year? Alex? That's what I was going to say. I can speak to that. I, I directed uh, Angel City for um, the Player Project last year. And 
I don't think I really realized I was doing a touring production. Like I knew I was doing seven different venues, but mm-hmm. but you don't. You're like, okay, I'm in Toronto. You just don't think of it. But really, you have to fit your show in a van, um, which the festival provided for us, which was lovely. <laughs> but it's still, it is, it is definitely when you're designing the show and figuring out how it works, and especially with Shepard, who is sometimes just incomprehensible. Like you have to have a, a strong vision or design for it to make it to make it pop. Um, that it was it was really challenging and. You know, I think the festival did the best they could, but when you're managing seven venues, and some of these are, in fact, the majority are non-traditional venues, as in, like, buildings people own <laughs> rather than theaters, they, there's, you know, there's there's sometimes issues with um, uh, venue owners not necessarily knowing what to expect yeah. from this kind of stuff. There, there's a big difference between a site-specific show that's being built to play in a bar or to play in whatever venue you want to say and doing a show in a bar is not the same as a show that you've built to put in a bar so trying to like cramp your ideas and your thoughts into a different space every night means ah, okay i guess we can't have a chair yeah. so no chairs. Uh, okay that that goes out the window and and okay so we can't control the lights every night uh okay Mm. No lighting effects. Da, da, da. And, you know, chairs and lighting effects aren't what make theater. But... Wait, what? Speak for yourself, man. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I have no actors, <sighs> just chairs I have and to, lights. I, I have to call Are my actors. Are you actor... doing the chairs? Yeah. I'm only, I'm only like a third of the way, <laughs> half of the yes, way through I, this bond. I have to call my off. actors immediately. <laughs> Stop bringing your chairs and flashlights to yeah. rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> it's my director voice. <laughs> <laughs> Harvey Firestein. Exactly. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> That answers my question. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere in there. Good job, team. Um, team answer. I, I did want to say, I, I, as someone who did the show last year, I'm very glad it's in one venue. It's just like it feels so much easier. I'm way more relaxed. About it. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I just feel that uh, the model we have using this year lets us focus a bit more on the shows themselves and not uh, the, the logistics. The, yeah, the logistics Moving. of the thing. So because that because we are ostensibly essentially both uh, producing all of us are basically also producing our shows right we're wearing more than one hat already so that's hard <laughs> mentally that's hard so it allow that's that's essentially it is by taking out this extra thing in the back of your brain that you're constantly having to cater to there's one extra brain cell that gets to go <laughs> towards the work hopefully we're finding another chair and light. <laughs> My actors will be standing in darkness now. <laughs> <laughs> the Playwright Project, April 23rd to May 4th at the Downstage Theater. Thank you all for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that took him so long to record, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca. It's amazing. <laughs> uh oh. You guys are glorious. I feel we're going to be cut together in compromising ways. No. <laughs> Come on. I hope now. so. Come on. <laughs> Ooh. Uh-